It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. And blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight. And we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, this is Leslie Gist, and we have um, a show for you today. Uh, one of our dear friends of the show, Dr. Ishmael Griffin, is currently working with the coronavirus. Um, patients. He's been on our show. The first time he appeared on our show was many uh, years ago because he is a doctor who um, takes children, pre-med students, to Cuba. He has done this for years. He's going to talk a little bit about that. He also came on our show to talk about the Ebola crisis. Um, and he's just a great friend to the show, and he is in transit to work right at this moment. Welcome, Dr. Ishmael. Uh, good morning, Leslie. Um, yeah, a couple of things. I, I, I appreciate you having me on the show yet again. Um, I hate to have to come on the show uh, in the middle of epidemics. Um, I really appreciated the first show, which highlighted my then involvement as the, an advisor to the Latin American School of Medicine um, many years ago, and um, highlighting the uh, brave uh, young men and women from the U.S. who trained in Cuba uh, in a system that um, knows how to respond very adequately to these types of pandemics. Um, I've been in communication to many of the now doctors practicing uh, in the United States who were trained in Cuba. And um, so I, I come with you with a perspective of not only my own, but the perspective of uh, what I'm gathering from doctors across the country. Um, and um, again, I thank you for um, having me on the show. Please excuse, I'm in my uh, I'm in my car. You know, the the last couple of days have been kind of last couple of days weeks have been kind of rough. I I work at a level uh, two trauma center in New York City uh, that has been particularly hit by the coronavirus, as many hospitals have been. And uh, my days kind of kind of you know heavy nowadays. So um, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, anytime. Um, we want to talk about the coronavirus. Uh, first of all, let's get the, uh, the saddest news out of the way, and hopefully we'll end this conversation on a high note. Um, I just woke up to the report that Italy um, experienced 600, over 600 people died overnight, and one day within 24 hours. Can you give us your perspective of what is going on in Italy, and how does it relate yeah. to us? Well, first of all, we pray for the people of Italy. Um, this virus is all around the world. We pray for the people of Wuhan, China, and we pray for the people of Iran and Spain, um, and those people in the United States also that are um, being besieged by this virus. Um, um, the situation in Italy may be compacted by the fact that uh, they have a relatively older population. Um, as well, as you know, um, as in most customs uh, societies, Italy is a country which benefits from people being social, uh, from large family networks. Uh, and um, I think um, a part of the, the, the uh, situation in Italy may be the good aspect 
healthy aspect of uh, communal relating that uh, that that Italy has. Uh, it's a strength uh, for them um, as a, as an ethnicity and as a nation. But um, in this instance, it may be a little bit of a problematic challenge because the the, the virus, the coronavirus, has passed socially. Um, I, I also woke up to hearing the news, but also hearing that for the first uh, time in the, since the onset of the virus in Italy, they saw a slight decline in the numbers, and we're hoping that in Italy uh, the, that decline will continue and that the country will pull out of, of, of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the delegation, you mentioned earlier that you knew some of the doctors who were traveling to Italy from Cuba. Talk a little bit about it. Well, no, the, I, I was an advisor to the Latin American School of Medicine um, between the years of 2007 and about 2012, um, but I continued to advise individual members of the delegation beyond that. Um, they, um, the, the school is the largest medical school in the world, and they have delegations around the world. So it's not, not specifically Italy, but certainly here in the United States, uh, the Caribbean, uh, South America, um, and other uh, parts of the world, uh, the third world countries primarily in Africa. Um, I, I was referencing those doctors who um, have been so successful in uh, challenging the residency training program in the United States and have been able to uh, garner residency positions and practices here in the United States. And they've done actually pretty well. Um, they are now uh, entertain a, about a, a, above a 90% uh, what is known as match rate, which for international medical schools is an astounding, an astounding figure. Okay. All right. Um, so as far as this virus in, in the United States, can you, um, you know, for those who are not familiar with how it was uh, transmitted, how the reports were shared with us, would you take us back to um, the first epidemic or the first crisis in the United States? Yeah. Um, so the virus appeared in the United States uh, in the beginning. I believe it was the beginning of February. Um, I don't. I don't want to be misquote the, the, the exact date. You have to understand that I'm here on the front line, seeing patients. So I'm not really trying to get into when it, it, it initially appeared. I can mm-hmm. tell you that we had an enormously high flu season, and so I'm going to speak from a little bit of a perspective that is a little different. Uh, there were many people who came to hospitals uh, back in November and December who had symptoms of the flu who tested uh, influenza A or B negative. And my distinct impression, given the numbers that we saw this year in terms of people presenting to the emergency department with flu symptoms was that, or my thought is that a number of those people may have been people who um, actually um, may have had coronavirus. Uh, There's no way of telling. Uh, There's been this huge debate about where the virus started. Um, I'm not going to get into the politics of that, but I'm going to tell you from my perspective, what I perceived working in this winter season in, in these here in the United States, and that is that it was a particularly heavy flu season. We saw many patients with flu, and a, and a good percentage of those patients were either not tested or were testing negative for the flu. Um, and I want to also say that coronavirus, not to panic about coronavirus, because the flu epidemic we've had every year, and the flu, and the flu is deadly. It can be deadly. Um, I think a bit of what's happening here is uh, what's being portrayed in the media in the sense that this is a new virus and the particular um, way in which it um, has been presenting here in the United States and the way in which people are so rapidly getting ill um, and the fact that uh, there is no vaccine. With flu, there's a vaccine, an inactivated vaccine, which protects you from uh, the flu virus. As of yet, there is no such vaccine for coronavirus. So. I just want to say that to be honest, because I think that uh, from my perspective, that's one of those things that we have not really uh, looked into much. You know, when did this begin, really? Um, Was Wuhan, China, the first place that coronavirus? I mean, the virologists um, need to um, do their mapping of this virus as it spread. and I'm certain that they will uh, sort of answer that. But I, 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 as of yet, 
uh, have that question still in my mind. Okay. Now, is it true that um, one of the first um, hot spots was in uh, Washington State? Uh, one of the first hot spots that we, we described uh, in the United States was in Washington State. Um, the, way, the way to think about it is that um, it, it, we're going to talk about what the media, what our media has told us about the initiation of the virus here. So, again, I want to make the disclaimer that there were many people with flu-like symptoms uh, long in this season, long before those cases in Washington were um were described. So, um, you know, most people are pretty astute, and they are kind of reeling from the fact that it's showing up in so many places simultaneously and so quickly in 50 states. Uh, and the question has to, in any rational person's mind, is was it there before uh, if we began testing it? Okay. And in the New York area, what, what, was the, what did the news report as a hot spot? Um, certainly New Rochelle, um, you know, the, uh, the testing centers are set up there. Um, I would include uh, certain parts of Long Island, and, and now, um, as a result of the numbers we're seeing, uh, Brooklyn, New York. Okay. What do they have in common? From your experience and what you've been learning, what do these hotspots have in common? Okay. What they have in common is that they, um, okay, so... One of the things you have to understand is that we have three major international airports uh, uh, in, in the New York City area. So that's certainly going to lead to the transmission of the virus internationally. Second, um, New York State has been tested. Certainly, if you don't test, you don't know. You won't have numbers. But uh, a, a, as you know, uh, if, if it had not been for the testing for coronavirus, many of these deaths might have been attributed to a flu death. Uh-huh. But New York State, thankfully, is doing a great job of at least beginning the testing uh, as opposed to many other parts of the world in this country. And so we're finding that uh, the number of cases of coronavirus are increased here. Um, I'm going to speak from my perspective. Any place where there's large gatherings of people, uh, there is a potential that coronavirus um, can be spread. And that would include, um, you know, you know, amongst any other place, hospitals. Naturally, you have to think that, you know, hospitals are places where large, where large numbers of people are gathered. It also is a place where uh, patients with coronavirus would be present. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where I think that for most people, they have to be, like, rational about what's going on and understand that this, this virus is spread by droplets. I mean, if you cough, you know what I mean, the droplets, you know, uh, and they hit, con- hit surfaces. And so wherever you find uh, large numbers of people, coughing and sneezing and those sorts of things, uh, you could, uh, you, will, you may find coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Now, when, you know, right now they're promoting that we go to the fast food joints and get prepared foods and have our food delivered to us, um, prepared foods, is is there any way that a um, a server or a cook could transmit this virus onto your food or onto the package of the food? Um, again, the, the virus is, is spread by droplets. So uh, what I would what I would what I would say about that is that um, okay. One, well, let me back up a bit, and because I think what's going on in the media is um, it could be quite alarming to people. And let me tell you that 80% of individuals who get exposed to coronavirus, for them, they will be uh, particularly asymptomatic, meaning that you will be exposed to coronavirus uh, and uh, it's really nothing. Um, your immune system is strong enough to fight the virus back and you don't really see much. Another 15% will have some symptoms, but nothing, but nothing fatal. Uh, and then there's the 5% that we worried about that work that we worry about that's hospitalized. In that 5%, there are certain high-risk groups, and those are the elderly, individuals who are uh, 60 years and and, and greater, 
for people who have multiple medical morbidities or comorbidities, diabetes, hypertension, any immune compromising disorders, um, and those patients who may be on immunosuppressants. So those are the those are the that's the reality of it. Um, and I think that uh, what we need to do is take the perspective of understanding that most people are are are, are relatively. Uh, uh, not, I mean, they're not going to have a bad outcome from coronavirus. Okay. You know, um, despite what you hear about young people getting sick, um, we still have figures that, that hold up the fact that this is a disease whose effects are worse than those that are uh, elderly, um, those that are uh, immunocompromised. So what I would say for those individuals is to be particularly mental. Um, and now I work in the hospital, and I want to keep it real with you. I'm not visiting uh, any elderly friends or relatives. Uh, right. by, by virtue of the fact that I'm in the middle of testing and treating patients with uh, suspected coronavirus, um, I have to recognize the fact that I may be one of those asymptomatic carriers. Um, and I need to be honest with you that um, that's just the reality. And the reality of most online health providers is that that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And so we we have to be part of the prevention, and we have to govern how we respond and how we act. Um, you know, um, so I, okay. I will tell you that I wear, I wear a protective, uh, you know, with PPE, a protective mask and, and, and mask. Really, um, in, in the sense that I haven't gotten my test results back, which I have tested, um, okay. that I, I need to, in that period, protect the elderly patient that I may have. Um, and, and that's just my level of um, responsibility and consciousness. Now, No, no, that's okay. We'll let that go. Okay. It looks like a, a junk call anyway. Okay, now Governor Cuomo is stating, I don't know if you can answer this question, that um, there is a shortage of um, your PPE supplies. Is that the case at your facility? Um, Not at my facility. I can't say that. Um, Not at my facility, but certainly I've talked with many doctors that um, it is the case at at their facility. Um, I I don't think that, uh, from what I'm hearing, that we're in a position to say that we – uh, basically, we have to judiciously use, think about how we use protective, uh, device, uh, you know, masks and gowns. Um, we as a people in this capitalistic society are so accustomed to having what we uh, when we can pay for something, we ought to get it. Um, we, we have to change our mindset in the sense that we have to protect elderly people and we have to protect those who are immunocompromised. And so, since, for the most part, um, you know, young, otherwise healthy people, even if they had coronavirus, would not uh, have an untrue outcome, uh, you know, it's a hard pill for many young people to swallow that if you have a cough and a fever, you know, you may not be eligible for a test. And you have to think about it as saving that test for your grandmother who might have a cough or fever. Okay. You know, because whereas, whereas you might not have an untrue outcome, you know, she, uh, if she got similar symptoms to coronavirus, might have a really bad income. And, and you know, it's hard for us to sort of get out of the, the thinking that we've been accustomed to, where we're so worried about ourselves and we don't think about um, collectively uh, about reserve, or, you know, preserving resources for those who need them the most. Now, what is the significance of the test? I'm thinking I'm more concerned with the cure than the test. Now, if you have the fever and you, you have all the symptoms, um, why waste time on a long line getting a test when you could be spending time getting a cure or, you know, uh, being seen by the doctor? Am I wrong? It, that type of exactly, logic? yeah. Exactly. So, first of all, um, most of the send-out assays for this test take uh, several days to get back. Um, in the 72-hour period waiting for the test, if you start getting better, then obviously the test is going to make very little difference at that point. Right. Because, you know, I'm getting a test to, uh, on something that I've already gotten well over. 
Um, I, I, I have family members that tested coronavirus positive, um, particularly one nephew who tested coronavirus positive. He's doing quite well. You know, did he need a test? Um, well, you know, he probably would have gotten better without that test. Um, but, you know, they tested him, so, you know, he knows. You know, so right, you're right. It. You have to think about the, the meaning of a test. Um, there are certain groups of people that I would test, uh, those people with a uh, elderly people, people with immunocompromised who come down with symptoms, those are the people that I would definitely test. Um, it's a judgment call. Um, the state has specific protocols for who to test, not to test. And I think that what we all should do is understand that that's the reality nowadays and abide by that. As, as nervous as what is, as nervous as the news may make us feel, uh, we just have to understand that we're in a public health epidemic, and we need to think about uh, where resources are applied. Okay. Now I see there's long lines for people that are taking these tests. Um, do you see? Um, have you been to any of these test sites? Or are you familiar with them? And where are they located? Um, you are? Yeah, I haven't been to the test sites. Um, I haven't been to the test site, so I, I you know, my, my days recently have been in the emergency room. Okay. Um, when I tested, I went to a, 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 a emergency room in the city because I know how emergency rooms are. I went early in the morning uh, when I, you know, I know emergency rooms. I've worked in them for 20 years. When I knew that there wouldn't be many people there, and I got the test. Um, you know, um, it was before some of the recent uh, guidelines around testing uh, changed. Now the guidelines are that, you know, they're not testing people, only those people in specific groups. And as we've gone further into this um, epidemic, the, the criteria have uh, changed. You know, if you look at um, the, what's coming down, um, you know, you know, they were testing. Now, if you're in an area, as a containment area, yes, um, I understand that they're still uh, testing. And, of course, if you look on the TV, there are miles-long lines of people trying to get those tests. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and you just have to wonder how many people in that mile long of cars actually need the test. You know, the, the so-called worried well. I mean, do they really need the test? If you don't have a fever, you don't have a cough, you know what I mean, and you don't have any GI symptoms, and you're 24 years old, do you really need the test? Right, right. Now, it's so much let me go over that again. If you're 24-year-old, you have no GI symptoms, no cough, no fever, right? Do you really need the test? Right. You have no immune conditions. Do you really need the test? And I think right. that people need to be honest and ask themselves, do I really need the test? Right. Now, the shortness of breath. Um, on my Facebook timeline, I've seen a few people experiencing shortness of breath, so they have taken off to the ER. Now, if someone experiences uh, shortness of breath, no matter what age they are, um, what does, explain what your emergency room looks like and what is the procedure? Because I know they have different um, intakes and triages for, uh, they're now separating the coronavirus suspected patients from the other patients. So could you give us the logistics? Yeah, so, so when you triage, there are two, two pieces of information that are gotten up front, and that's the O2 sat, which is the measure of your oxygenation, and the respiratory rate. Mm -hmm. And then there's the subjective look of the person. You know, um, if I, uh, for example, come in and I'm sitting in front of the triage person and I, I'm breathing fast, right, but I'm talking without a problem. They're eating a bag of cheese doodles, no fever. Um, you can imagine uh, what that triage person may think. Then you also may know what family may be thinking about that. They may say, well, you know, um, this is coronavirus. It's not really doing too much. Now, if you come in to the triage nurse and you're otherwise healthy and the pulse ox is put on and it's reading 89%, well, then we got to look further. And remember that even before coronavirus, there were other reasons for shortness of breath. So emergency departments are going to do what emergency departments have done uh, historically and evaluate you for that symptom and not get locked into thinking that everything that presents is coronavirus. Maybe it's a PE, right? 
Maybe you just have bacterial pneumonia, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, okay. so, 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 what I would do is I would tell people not to avoid going if they feel that they have concerning symptoms. There are laws that protect people from going into the hospital, right? But, but let me just raise conjecture. Um, every year during the winter season, fall, winter, people get the cold. How many people? would rush into an emergency department for a cold. Uh-huh. I hear you. Now, the ventilator. How many, how many, and how many, people, how many people are rushing into an emergency department now with a cold because of what's going on on TV? Right, right. Now, the, the Governor Cuomo, New York Governor Cuomo, said that there's issues with the ventilator. How many um, patients are you seeing that come in with the virus are required to use a ventilator? Well, you know, uh, Leslie, I'm a, I'm a, I, uh, I work uh, in the trauma critical room. Um, what I can tell you is that um, I uh, placed um, six people on a, on a ventilator on a, the ship that I worked um, just yesterday. Um, on the average, how often do you do that? Um, and that 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 figure was very unusual. Um, the the problems that most hospitals are facing, at least I'm going to speak for my hospital, are uh, the shortage of um, ICU type beds, the shortage of isolation beds, and um, along with that, um, a shortage that we've always uh, that we've always had of nursing. And I think that most of the hospital systems, if given those resources, would do. Very well. Um, I can't say that um, there's a big problem at the hospital that I work at. Um, we we managed through that well. We managed through that well, um, and we do the best of taking care of people, and we will continue to take care of people. Um, and um, we do things as we have done, you know, you know, so many times. Um, now, how long, how long does the patient, on the average? How long does a patient use these ventilators? Are you usually on them for a day or two, a couple of hours? What's the term? Yeah, well, I'm not. I, I'm, a, I'm an emergency physician. I'm not a critical care doc. Um, okay. You, you know, I don't want to answer a question that is sort of outside of my scope. Um, gotcha. that, that's more appropriately uh, appropriate for the critical care doc. Um, I haven't gone through records of length of stay on critical care patients admitted with presumptive coronavirus. I think it's too soon in the epidemic to really even generate that number. Um, You know, I'm I'm a person of faith, um, and I'll tell you my perspective. So when, um, you know, I had a family in front of me last night, and they said, well, Doc, you know, what do you think? And I say to them, and I say to them that, um, you know, I don't have uh, uh, that kind of uh, power. I don't intend to have. God has that power. You know, and what I'm comm- I am committed to do is to make sure that I give you and your family and the family member in there on that event the very best. So that's how I govern myself as a, as a health professional. You know, I, 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 I'm going to get the very best. Gotcha. I understand. That's very, and you know, like I said to you in the several text messages we exchanged last night, that I'm honored that you accepted my calls during this crisis. You always um, answer my call, and we don't always agree head to head on our private lives, and you know we have political views and differences. But when it comes to our people, loving our people, and loving God, that's one thing we both have in common. So I'm, I'm really honored that you accept my call, and, and you always come on the show just within one one request. So I want to tell all the listeners: this man is a great man. And I appreciate them. And I appreciate all the workers at your hospital. We're all praying for you guys um, that you come out of this situation better spiritually, physically, and, you know, you're you're angels. So getting back to um, some more questions, Governor Cuomo, you know, he's now um, convinced um, Donald Trump to send a Navy hospital he has um, turned the Javits into. Okay, we have technical difficulties. So, um, 
Governor Cuomo has convinced Donald Trump to send a Navy ship, a Navy hospital. And he also converted the Jacob Javits um, Convention Center into a hospital, a pseudo hospital. What's your take on his actions? Um, I'm, I'm happy that the governor has gotten those resources for us. Um, again, as I said, there's the issue of the number of beds. Um, and I'm actually quite thankful that um, we got that, um, that, that, that aid federally. Um, uh, I, I won't get into political discourse here. I think you may understand my uh, feelings about our current presidential administration. Um, so, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll not go into that, that phrase. But I'm thankful for the help. I'm thankful for the uh, the efforts of the governor to um, protect the uh, citizens of New York City. Okay, that's that's good. So you were. But, uh, I mean, I'm not even has 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 that has that has that uh, naval ship come, and have they have they actually set up in Jacob? That hasn't been done yet. Okay. Okay. So I I think what the plan is, they're going to use the existing hospitals for the corona patients, and the new hospitals would be used for everyone else. You know, now they stopped the elective um, procedures in the hospital. Um, are you aware of that? How has your day changed as an emergency physician? Well, our hospital has had to um, mount a response to this uh, uh, pandemic, as all others have. Um, uh, the way we've responded to it is uh, by establishing protocols for triaging patients with coronavirus, of course, uh, procedures for isolating patients who are suspected uh, coronavirus patients within the hospital milieu, uh, testing them and, and, get, and treating them like any other patient, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, not assuming that it's coronavirus, uh, testing, evaluating them, and following the same protocol uh, in terms of their discharge instructions. Now, there's some people who are able to be sent home uh, on, self, on, on home quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. And many of those patients go home and do quite fine. There are some patients that we evaluate and we find that it's, it's something other than other than coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, I mean, it may, it, may, it, may, it may surprise you that, you know, that goes on. I mean, We've had people come to emergency departments uh, with things other than coronavirus that cause a cause of fever or fever or some GI symptoms, and we tr- continue to treat them. Okay. All right. Now, what do you recommend for our listeners? Um, when do you think they should come to the emergency room? Like when they have a fever or two days of fever or how high should the fever be? You know, what is the ideal patient, corona patient, you know, or person that's worried about it? When should they be alarmed enough to come visit your hospital? You know, this is a this is a tricky question because one of the things I can't do, of course, you know, on a public forum like this is give medical advice because you know we, we live in an age when one size doesn't fit all. Um, what I can tell you is uh, the groups that, that need to be careful, and those are one the elderly. Uh, again, anyone with an immune compromising condition, including diabetes. Uh, anyone who are on immune uh, suppressing drugs, uh, and, I, and I purposely intentionally stay away from giving that kind of advice because there's going to be one person who didn't go, you know what I mean, for whom they're going to say, well, Dr. Griffin told me not to go. No, I can't do that. Um, I don't have a crystal ball. This is going out a lot, not on the public airways, and so I'm astute enough to know that, you know, personal medical advice doesn't work that way. Uh, yeah, what you've got to do is you've just got to take a public health approach and talk about the groups that need to uh, be aware. I think one of the things that, um, that I need to say is that uh, there are some papers that suggest that the onset of symptoms of coronavirus can be different than just cough and fever. You can have some GI symptoms, diarrhea, for example. So, you know, um, if you had gotten diarrhea with a fever uh, and you didn't have any travel, or maybe you did have travel, you'd be concerned, right? Right. So would you go, I mean, so I would ask the listeners to say, would I go into a doctor's office for that? Right, I hear what you're saying. If you had a little sneeze, right, and, and no fever, and you've had this every year and you've had common colds, right, did you go into right. the doctor last year with that? Right, right. I hear you. 
Now, there's a few celebrities um, that are um, have, that have tested positive and that have been hospitalized or um, are just in self-quarantine like most of us are. Um, do you know of any of them? I think um, uh, we have two politicians, the Barons, Charles and Inez Barons. I think uh, Charles is hospitalized. Yeah, we, we pray for the Barron family. Um, I, I um, of course, like most people, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a native Brooklynite. You know, I have met uh, the, the Barons. Um, per se, know them personally, and, 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 and no, I can't say that I... I socialize and know them personally. Um, um, as with all people, I, I pray for 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 uh, them, the family, the Barron family. Um, and you know, I think that one of the things that we have to be mindful of in the middle of this uh, uh, pandemic is to maintain a level of confidentiality. You know, um, if I knew a, a celebrity that um, had um, the 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 coronavirus and was living asymptomatic or even symptomatic, I wouldn't, you know, I would let them uh, divulge that information. I wouldn't divulge. I don't know how that, that got out oh. uh, because that has, that has certain, uh, that could have certain political implications. You understand? Particularly how, how that political person responds. So, I, you know, whenever I see stuff like that, my antenna go up. Um, mm-hmm. I particularly am very supportive of the Barons, and so, I, you, know, I, you know, all I can say is that I saw that, you know, I pray for them. Um, I will be a source to them, but if I did so, that would be privately. Okay, okay. Now, how many more minutes do we have before you arrive at your destination at the hospital? Well, you know, I was rushing in early today. You know, my phone is blowing up, as you can see, and I and I really uh, apologize to all your guests. I'm I'm out here in my car in the rain, uh, getting to the hospital, and I, I added in some extra time there because I got to do a a Batman Superman change because I've been right. changing clothes coming in and out of the hospital. So you, you have to understand that um part of the, you know, but I do have some time. I, I have, I have to be there at 12, um, but I was intending to get in a little earlier. Okay. Wonderful. Now, you know, there was um, a, on social media, there has been a lot of misinformation and mainly uh, that African-Americans and Africans are immune to, this virus. What do you have to say about that? Um, I would say to you, African American, African descended, Hispanic, white, Jewish, that this is not a, a virus uh, that is that, that respects those lines. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that that is emphatically uh, not true, and not mm-hmm. what I'm observing. Okay. All right. Okay. And and in Africa. Um, I hear that they're working on some kind of, um, they're trying to emulate what they did during the Ebola, which is to take some, um, to treat some, I guess, some fluids from a person who had the disease and was um, was able to to sustain it and, you know, maintain life. And they're trying to use that serum to vaccinate sick with people. Are you familiar with these different um, procedures that they're uh, experimenting with, or how yeah, they use? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did look at I did look at some world maps of where coronavirus um, is is, and it looks like um, in the southern hemisphere, particularly in Africa, it hasn't been particularly impacted. Um, and that's not to mean that it, it the nations in Africa won't be impacted at a later date. Um, so I'm not, you know, so. But I no. But to answer your question, no, I don't know about those kinds of things. Um, I think that the uh, spread of this epidemic will be the same as it is that where we've said where we've seen before, where young, relatively healthy people um, will not be impacted that much by it. And um, I think that's that's what we should how we should govern ourselves. Um, I, you know, my specific message to the African American community is to be mindful of how uh, many pandemics have arisen, we, you know, and just be real and say, you know, we tend to be the last to be informed and therefore the last to act. And mm-hmm. at least with this one, let's not be that way. Let's not be that way. Let's not, let's not go there. You know, no, this can affect you. This can affect your mama, your papa, brother, sister, Lou, you know, whatever. So 
We need to understand that we need to think about our communities. We need to think about our elders particularly, and we need to think about those in our communities who are at risk because they have immune-compromising conditions. We have to make choices to, you know, that, that involve knowing that if we are sick, to stay away from uh, those individuals because we are basically don't want them to, 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 to fall from something that we may have that we may get over. Uh, we have to understand that, you know, the, the, our local hospitals have limited resources and that um, in our communities that we understand that, you know, if I know that I'm going to do well with this, I step back and I let my, my grandmama go into the hospital and, and get treated. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and that's a different kind of way of thinking. That's a different kind of way of thinking um, mm-hmm. that, that, we are, that we are socialized to. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest about that. You know, um, should everyone um, on those lines trying to get a test, do they really need it? And I know right. that some of the viewers are going to get upset with me, but, you know, people kind of un- instinctively know that if I'm walking around here, um, you know, uh, 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 doing the electric slide, you know, with no fever, no cough, that I, I don't need a coronavirus test. Yeah, right. I you know what I'm saying? I, and, I, and I use that imagery because I think that's an imagery that we can all relate to. So let's get real. Right. right. So please, yeah. if you don't have any symptoms, if you don't have any symptoms, and particularly if you're young and healthy, please do not get in your car and get on that coronavirus testing line. Or arrive at the emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. If you have no symptoms and you're looking fine, you know what I mean, please ask yourself, am I worried well? You know what I mean? I can't tell you not to go into a hospital. I can't tell you that. And one of the things you have to be mindful of is that hospitals are where sick people are at. So the, the chances are, you know, like, you know, your, your risk of, 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 of getting coronavirus nowadays are higher in the hospital. You know, let's get real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's a tricky, it's a tricky set of decision-making. Mm-hmm. And, and for some people, it's a matter of watching and, and seeing. You know, one of the calls that I was getting uh, as we were coming, coming here is, um, you know, uh, an individual with a fever of 103, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't know if they should test or not. So I woke up this morning um, and I had to, you know, I fielded that call and I had to give some recommendations about what to do. Mm-hmm. And amongst those recommendations, I thought, okay, so I know how, I, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a couple friend of mine. And so mm-hmm. I had to tell him, I said, listen, I said, listen, brother, let me explain to you what you need to do because none of us are going to want to act like, we all want to act like we will. I said, let her, that's his wife, let her tell us how you doing? I remember using my best bonnet. And I said, right. let's monitor your temperature, right? And if right. it doesn't get better within this amount of time, then you head on into the hospital because you know what your age is. And they're about the same age as me. So you know what age you are and you know what time it is. But, you know, but, you know we can't explain this fever and this cough and it's a certain number of days. You know, we're going to move on it now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yes, I think that this person needs to get in the line and take a test simply because of the, the way. But, you know, um, you know, but and not, then what, not, not, what, what, what do you expect to happen to her with her fever, a few days? It's a husband-wife pair, husband. Yeah, so it's a husband-wife pair with his fever. So, um, you know, like all things, you know, he may beat it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a discussion, you know, he said, he said, he said, he said you know, I'm feeling a little better. I said, okay, well, we'll watch it. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Well, that's, that's, that's good news. You know that those are the types of people that you want on the line, and, and you want to preserve those facilities. Now, there's a, a Surgeon General. Do you know who the Surgeon General is? I'm looking up his name as... Bebeck Murphy? Jerome is his name? Okay. No, I know, B, I know Dr. Bebeck Murphy, who was the last Surgeon General, because um, I was part of a, of, a, of a foray in which I brought him to um, my my work my workplace with the Latin American uh, Latin American School of Medicine, and uh, he had some very good words to share on on, on national television. I respect his viewpoint on things, um, 
and that is the, the, the past Surgeon General that I that I really respect. The newer Surgeon General, I think he's a good guy. I haven't heard what I haven't heard much what he said about coronavirus. Okay. All right. His name is Doctor Jerome Adams. He's an African American, looks pretty young. And uh, Yeah, I know I I, I yeah, I, I, I I'm 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 aware of him. But I just haven't I haven't really heard what he said. Well, he pled to the young celebrities. And he asked the celebrities to use their platform to tell the youngsters to um, to quarantine and not to go around the elders and to stop socializing. Um, um, what, what I would, I, you can't. Well, I, I think that that one is a is. A, I agree with him in general in what he's trying to say. Um, I think it's hard to tell young people not to socialize. Uh, that's just that's telling a, that's like telling the puppy not to romp. Um, so, you know, you got to think about what you're telling people and how effective you think that's going to be. But I do agree with um, telling young people that they need to be mindful of their elders and mindful that they may have something that may kill grandpa. So I do agree with him if he's saying that. Wow. Okay. All right. So maybe they need a public address announcement um, with yeah. the elders and the young people. You know, maybe something. You know, you know, you know. Are you, are you, if you have a fever and cough, are you gonna go cough on your grandmama? I'm going to ebonics again. Right. You know, you have to understand that. Leslie, I'm Harvard educated, so you know I don't use ebonics. I use it selectively. I use right. it selectively for a specific reason. Don't go cough on your grandmama. That's right. the kind of campaign we need in the African American community. You know what I mean? So to make it real. But first of all, that's rude. She might slap you. Right. 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 Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Or, or you, you know, if you're sick, you might want to curtail that visit by, right. right now. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So they closed down the schools. Um, do you think that was necessary? Well, you know, um, this is the approach that the government is taking. That governments are taking. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's a difference between agreeing. I mean, I have, I mean, I'm a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, so, I mean, there's a, you know, there's not so much I can do. Um, you know, um, I, you, you know, I, you know, who it affects, right? So, right. Uh, are we talking children? Are we talking children? Um, I think that one of the things that we have to understand is that young people are, can be reservoirs for coronavirus. Right. Right? So. Right. If, you, if you're thinking about, you know, uh, decreasing the reservoir, I guess so. Um, how effective that is, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I have, I have uh, ambivalent feelings about that, honestly. Okay. All right. So um, South Korea, they were able to handle this virus without any um, national uh, quarantine. They went on their daily, you know, work schedule, and they they use the um, drive-in testing um, superbly. Do you know anything about how South Korea handled? Yeah, I don't know the intimate details of what happened in South Korea. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, what I'm told is that you know, you know, numbers are a funny thing. Right. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to understand, like, how, what number of, you know, what was their flu rate this year? You know, um, I, I can't tell you that I'm an expert on morbidity and mortality statistics in South Korea. So okay. I, I, I don't want to, you know. But if you notice, um, Japan hasn't been typically hit hard. And you would think that they would have been, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Russia, one of the right? in Russia and Russia, yeah, and one of the largest African nations, Nigeria, which is a it's just a, 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 a bellwether, is not really reeling from this. So, you know, why it hasn't gone to uh, certain parts of the world? I, you know, that's a that's a public health question that we still haven't figured out. You know, and we and it, and there's a lot that remains to be seen in terms of where this pandemic will go. Mm-hmm. Well, you touched on it earlier. You said somebody hot spots in the United States are near the uh, international airport. So yeah. yeah. And in places where they're doing more testing, like, you know, New York started picking up on testing 
you got Newark International, you got JFK, you've got uh, LaGuardia, and what's the other airport up on Long Island? And then you've got all the people coming in from, you know, Philadelphia, uh, you know, in other areas, Boston. You know, it's a major hub. Correct, correct. Like, my mom is from West Virginia, and I think they they didn't have any cases until a couple of days ago. And we know until that. someone came from New York. Until someone from New York visited West Virginia. West, like, well, you know, my mom comes from the mountains, you know. They, they very rarely come down the mountains. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I said that's why you to your again, stay up there. <laughs> it's good. The air is fresh. The air is fresh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're bragging that they don't happen. I'm like, well, you don't come off the mountain. How are you going to get it? You're not interacting with, with folks. <laughs> you know, I don't think, you know. <laughs> Thank you again, Dr. Ishmael. Um, can we have I want to say a couple of words. Yeah, we can. We, when, listen, please invite me on when this is all over because it will be over. And we will beat this. And, okay. um, you know, we have flu, we have flu you know, pandemics and we beat them. We will beat them. Um, we're stronger to people. So we will not be defeated, right? Um, we have uh, survived many things. I mean, for, for God's, you know, we survived this HIV epidemic. We went through that, right? With MERS and SARS, the other SARS. We did all of that, and we're going to continue to survive. So I don't want anyone thinking that, you know, this is the, the last days or anything like that, because it's really not. Okay. Okay. Well, I thank you for um, coming on the show and for those words of encouragement. And I know you're a prayer for man, and um, we'll, we will have you back on the show, correct? Yep, yep. Maybe, maybe I do an update and then we'll 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 we'll, we'll meet. Hopefully, this is not going to take eighteen months. Cause see, I can't I can't take this for eighteen months. This is this 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 here, you know. I, I think two weeks is enough. I don't want to go through this for eighteen months. Okay, well right. we'll do so an update. Let's, let's do a weekly update. How about that? Okay then. Okay then. Okay, okay so All right. I'm gonna so thank you again and keep us. You know, we we're gonna keep you in prayer and you do likewise. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.